Happy Monday, and welcome to episode 18 of the Sneak Preview, our podcast that follows the current film release calendar. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb Leger. And this is our belated episode on Mortal Kombat. The film debuted in theaters and on HBO Max on Friday, April 23rd, but that Sunday was the Academy Awards, and we used last week's show to recap the awards. But here it is, a film we were both super excited for. In addition, we'll talk a bit about three other releases from this weekend, Separation, Without Remorse, and The Mitchells versus The Machines. But first, we got to take a look at what happened last week in film. Last week in film. First up, there were two trailers released. Uh, The second trailer for Pixar's upcoming film, Luca which follows two sea monsters who try to learn about the surface world on the Italian Riviera. The film is set for release on Disney Plus on June 18th, and it's Pixar, so I have zero reservations whatsoever. I'm going to watch this. Yeah, same. I mean, we're both kids of the 90s, so Disney and Pixar pretty much ruled our childhood, and yeah, they haven't really, minus maybe a car sequel here and there, um, they haven't led me astray too much. So yeah, I'm excited. I'll see it. Yeah, this looks cute. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to have some great life lessons on family and identity and friendship and whatnot. So let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> At some point, I'll cry and, you know, totally deny it later. Yeah. You know, yeah. as is usual with them. I'm hoping that it's not another, you know, a $30 rental purchase. I'm hoping it's like they did with Soul, where they just dropped it. <laughs> I think I read it's not because apparently. Pixar distribute uh Pixar animators are getting pissed off about that. I but I could be wrong. Don't quote me. But I think everybody's gonna be free. I hope so. I mean, you know, Onward and Soul were dropped on Disney Plus without a without a rental fee. So I think Pixar is just cool. <laughs> I I yeah. I mean I've only seen Onward. I have not seen Soul yet. I need to watch Soul. I haven't seen it. Soul's good, Onward was better, in my opinion. I, I really liked Onward. Really liked Onward. That movie hit me right in the fucking heart. Like that movie made me cry so hard. Yeah, Such yeah. I have I have personal reasons myself with that. And when yeah, I got to know, I was like, oh God, nope, won't do it. I'm not I'm not nope, not today, Pixar. Not today. And, but also it was hilarious. Like the scene where he like sacrifices his van and like the tire blows and it starts like galloping. I couldn't stop laughing. That was brilliant. <laughs> that was yeah. No, uh, Chris. It was it was Chris Pratt and Tom Holland. Yeah, uh, yeah. They were hilarious in that movie together. They were cracking me up. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. And then Soul was good too. It was just a lot more ethereal and a lot more a lot more serious than Pixar's usually. And that's saying something considering you know the dramatic moments we've gotten from Pixar, but this is a film literally about death <laughs> and it gets, it gets uh, harsh sometimes. I liked it, but I don't know if I'd watch it again, you know? Okay. No, I'll, I'll probably watch, I'll watch it. I mean, they, they haven't done me wrong nine times out of 10. I'll forgive some shitty sequels that have come out. <laughs> There's still a few I haven't seen. I've, I've not yet seen, Coco, Brave, The Good Dinosaur, The Car Sequels, or Monsters University. 
Okay. Uh, the only two I've seen on that listing is Monsters University, which was okay. It's obviously not Monsters Inc. Yeah. Um, and then Coco, which that one I do highly recommend. Coco was really, really good. I really That's what I've it. heard. Yeah. I've heard that one's like one of their greatest films and a real tearjerker. So yeah, it, it's like really funny. The animation's beautiful. And then it gets to like this the end when they're like resolving some stuff. And it's yeah, it's start having to fight back those those tear ducks. Right on. Yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there for sure. The other trailer is for Georgetown, the directorial debut of Christoph Waltz, who also stars as a Washington, DC social climber who may have murdered his rich, connected, much older wife. It's based on a true story and stars Waltz, Vanessa Redgrave, and Annette Benning. It's set for a limited release on May 14th and an on-demand release on May 18th. It's not getting great reviews. It was supposed to come out in 2019, uh, but it's Waltz's directorial debut, and I love that guy, so I'm, I'm going to check this out and give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I will too. Uh, don't hate me. I actually I totally forgot to see this trailer. I saw it pop up on YouTube and never got around to watching it. Oh, not that I didn't get around. I was like, oh, I'll watch that later because I was off to go do something. Later came and I forgot. But <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I'm like you. I like Waltz. He's one of my new favorite actors. So I'll check. I'll probably check it out at some point. Yeah, it looks. You know, he he kind of looks like if you know Hans Landa lived today and worked in DC. That, that kind of smarmy but intelligent bastard. Okay. And it's based on a true story. So I'm wondering like how, you know, accurate is it? And there's a great moment in the trailer where he, and that um, Vanessa Redgrave is his way older wife that he clearly married for the money and the social influence. And she tells him like, oh, it's like you, you have alcohol in your breath or something like that. And he goes, well, you stink of the grave. <laughs> and it's like, fuck, <laughs> this is going to be dark. So yeah. <laughs> Got her. it's yeah so I'm, I'm i like these kinds of movies you know these weird little you know s- small amount of actors kind of you know ensemble quirky dramas so i'm gonna i'll go into this with positive thoughts yeah it when i say like i'm gonna get to it i know a lot of times i use that as like well i'll get to when i get through the other movies i really want to watch um yeah this is a let it be known to the team and fans this is the exception for the current foreseeable future of this year because of my circumstances with uh, our pandemic what i was doing there's just a shit ton of films i want to watch and yeah unfortunately georgetown not high up there <laughs> compared yeah. to like other big hitters that i've been hearing about and need to see especially the horror front i just watched the fangoria chainsaw awards so that put a lot more movies that they were talking about that I was like, oh, shit, I need to see this. So it's just a matter of like, I have to figure out, okay, what do I really want to watch first? And then go from there. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I'm, I'm using this podcast as an excuse to stay current with the, with the film calendar and watch as much as I can. So I can bring movies of all sorts to this show. And Georgetown will be one of those films for sure. Yeah, and that's and that's fair. I mean, like so you've seen me with like the Godzilla versus Kong. Now the one we're talking about about David Mortal Kombat, Spiral coming out, which I cannot be more ha- excited to see. Um, I'm still trying to see the new movies to stay current. So obviously, I and it has a lot to do with one. I miss going to the theaters like a lot of I'm sure movie buffs. I know you yourself. I miss going. I fucking love the theater. So 
if there's a big hit movie coming out that I've been dying to see, yeah, I'll go see it. I've now officially, thanks to the pandemic, had to wait an extra year to see some of these movies. So, And I am fully vaccinated now, so any guilt I was feeling is completely gone. <laughs> We're getting our shipment, I believe I was told by someone this week. So I got to figure out when I'm supposed to get my shot. Because apparently they're, it's like because of, you know, about the whole like kicking people's ass with that oh, second yeah. shot. Yeah, the, the way the ship's doing, I think they're trying to plan for like when you get it, you get off that day and the next and then come into work after. They are not kidding about the second shot. I, I, I had my doubts. I was like, no, nothing's going to get me. I got the shot. I was fine all day. I woke up the next day, felt like absolute hammered shit. <laughs> yeah, it was <laughs> Full body aches, a little nausea, and I was just like, oh, God. So, yeah. When you mentioned it to me last week, you were like, well, I got the shot. I was like, well, wait till the next day. I saw your Facebook post the next day, and I almost wanted to sit there and be like, told you so. Yeah, yeah, that's my bad. That's my arrogance. I, yep. So, it lasts about a day and a half, uh, the muscle aches. The nausea lasted only about 20 minutes. And, okay. uh, See, for me, I can take, like, the muscle ache stuff. Nausea, it kills me. I too many look i've had my fun in high school and college right too many hangovers with nausea that i don't like to i hate that feeling of like just laying on my couch feeling like i have to throw up but i don't have to throw up i hate it Fucking the worst it. part was the persistent fever i could feel like i had you know a cold sweat going on i could feel it like you know trying to break in my head and it was just crazy and then later that day that evening i had to go physically to the, the campus and do a presentation and i was so pissed <laughs> i had to oh. get on the bus walk all the way to the history building and talk about rocky erickson for 20 minutes <laughs> like as much as i love learning about this guy i was not in the right you know frame of mind or body to be talking about anything let alone leaving my apartment <laughs> so not a great day yeah Oh, I'm sure, dude, my, my cat's going to fucking love that day because he can't leave my side. He's actually, like, by my side right now, letting him letting me know he's here, as if I'm not aware. Mine is locked out of the room because he still doesn't quite understand how podcasts work. <laughs> Mine tried jumping on my lap, but I, like, I'm like, no, sorry, buddy. You got to wait till this is over. Uh, moving on, we talked a little, um, Austin and I talked a bit about this on, uh, yesterday's oscar sunday episode leonardo dicaprio is producing and may star in an american remake of thomas vinterberg's oscar-winning dramedy another round uh which just won the oscar for best uh, international film also nominated for best director and because it's popular and foreign hollywood wants to make it english i mean you know american and i don't like that this is the case for all genres it's always fucked up it never works as well as the foreign version because that's the definitive version and i wish people would just learn to fucking read and watch the danish one which is great i thought we made headway with parasite i thought parasite was a big game changer so did why, I. Are, we, why are we still doing it? it's like i remember what is it we talked about it, the raid one of my you know as we now know because it's recorded one of my favorite movies um, you know, those American remake talked about for years, and I was against. I was like, no. I was like, the point. I was like, martial arts films only work foreign. I have yet to really sit through. Well, okay, minus many of the John Wick movies. Sit through 
an American movie that makes me go, wow, what great martial arts? Because we're not really a country known for that. So it's like, no, I don't want your American remake of what I already got and have seen over hundreds of times in love. No, I don't. I don't want it. I can just turn on the subs and read. And if I have friends over that really hate subs, I'll I'll sit through the dub. Okay. I want to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I won't enjoy it, but I'll do it. I'll do anything but watch the fucking American remake. Well, it's funny you brought up Parasite because Bong Joon-ho and Adam McKay are working on an American version of Parasite for HBO. So there's no headway. Americans don't like things that aren't American, and that will never change. It sucks, but that's you know why we're getting a Train to Busan remake, why we've got a Grudge remake, why we got a Ring remake. It's because people don't if it not if it's not happening here, Americans don't give a fuck. It, and what kills me is that if you all these remakes for naming, right? The only ones, the only two I would say that did good were Grudge and The Ring. The only ones that did financially well, how you like them is, you know, obviously subjective. The only two that really did well. Besides that, these have consistently flopped. I don't understand how they keep getting made. Well, and they didn't need to exist in the first place. They're the 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 Japanese versions are really good horror films that can stand on their own they don't need to be americanized no and yeah I'm, I'm with you another round I, is a great danish film a great dramedy about you know life and you know middle like midlife crisis and just kind of figuring yourself out that i as an american was able to relate to just because it's da- just because it's in danish doesn't mean that americans can't get it it's i don't get this mentality people don't want you know what we should probably be careful we're going to say we're probably offending a small group of people. If you are, if if they're offended, I don't want them here anyway. Like, uh, oh, it, dude, it. No, I'm with you. It bugs me now. Okay, I will say this. I will say I will defend the American remake of The Grudge, only because. Hear me out here. You know the huge crush I have on Sarah Michelle Gellar. Don't we all? Yeah, so I'll defend that one because I saw that as a kid and it was like the best thing ever for me because she was in it. Besides that, yeah, no, I've never I've never sat there and been like, oh my god, they're yes, American remake. Now I don't have to read the subs. It's like, no, I don't, I'll just watch like you and especially because other countries, like Japanese cinema, for example, they give away with a lot more shit than America does. So obviously, like they can make things by Takashi Miike, like Audition and Itchy the Killer. That shit would not fly in America. Like they'd be like, "No, we gotta neuter that." Good God, could you imagine an American remake of Audition? The whole ending would be just so watered down. Watered down as hell. I can see the trailer right now. I can hear the jump music. Horseshit. Honestly, can you imagine them trying to do an Itchy the Killer? Remake in America? The movie would be a half hour long because of all the shit they'd have to take out of that. Uh, <laughs> that, would never, that would never fly here. Uh, I think a big <sighs> part of it for me is that, and this doesn't apply to every American filmmaker, obviously, but at least the ones who are remaking these films, they never nail the atmosphere. They always fuck that up. They always forget the point of the movie, and we end up with some lukewarm trash that's identical to every other film that's come out in America in the past 10 years. And you know what? Honestly, sometimes even the original director, the Grudge remake was done by the Japanese director. Yeah. 
So sometimes it's I don't know I don't think it's necessarily I think it's the studio I think it's a, the number one always been an issue with Hollywood filmmaking it's the studios yeah Ugh. well I hope this falls apart in pre production and we don't get an American remake of another round doesn't need to happen as much as I love Leo he's better than this why is he focusing his energy towards this he, he can literally do anything and this is what he picks yeah. It's annoying. Just do the 10th Grand Tarantino, Leo. Okay? Just be in his final film, all right? Be the bad guy in Kill Bill 3. Whatever the fuck Tarantino has cooking up. I know he's talked about a goddamn Star Trek script that I don't think is ever going to see the light of day. That's been completely shelved by Paramount. There's no I think they're looking at Noah Hawley now to do a fourth Star Trek. You know what? Not a bad choice at all. I'm not going to complain about that, but I remember when I, I read that and they're like, he was like, yeah, I'm going to make this R rated. I was like, you really think they're going to let you do an R rated Star Trek? I was like, look, I don't know if you know how this works, Tarantino, but what studio likes to do is take an R rated franchise and then PG 13 it. It does not like to go the other way, ever. No. You know, it's weird so, how like so many ideas are announced by the studio and like 2% of them ever actually fucking happen. So many are just like announced prematurely, gets our hopes up, and then it's shelved for, forever. And I'm so tired of that. Like one day, long after we're dead, somebody's going to wake up and be like, holy shit, I'm the problem. And then filmmakers will get to do what they want, but not for a very long time. <laughs> no. And I, you know what? That same thought I keep applying every single day in my life to the Friday the 13th legal case. Eventually, one of them's going to realize there's a problem. Get out of court on that series. <sighs> See, the Friday the 13th lawsuit is exactly the reason why we, every American child, and probably globally, are taught at an early age the importance of sharing. <laughs> because, you know, things are better when you work together. This is not just yeah. horseshit. This is true. <laughs> like, you know, give me a new face on the big screen. Yeah, sorry. I'm very mad that I still don't have a Friday 13th movie. I'll take a small screen, Jason, at this point. I'll take anything. <laughs> I'm getting a second Halloween movie before I get another Jason movie. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't... I'm getting a Scream 5 and a Texas Chainsaw. Who God knows what number it is at this point? Because even I've lost count. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I... I don't know the details because we have not yet done Friday the 13th, so I haven't looked into it. But it's it's frustrating, it's annoying, it's unnecessary, and it's halting one of the most beloved horror franchises in history. Yes. One of the most beloved and most profitable. I think it was I think it was the most independently successful franchise up until Saul. Oh. I'd have to look it up again, but I want to say that was its thing. And then Saul kind of took it from it because, you know, if it's Halloween, then it must be Saul. In this case, mid-May. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think we'll ever have that one, but that was a fun time. <laughs> well, you know, we're getting a new one, and that's what matters. That is what matters, and I cannot wait. Um, next up, keeping in that same vein, uh, apparently it's not just the Americans who are remaking foreign stuff. Oscar-winning French director Michel Hazanavichus is working on a French remake of the Japanese zombie film One Cut of the Dead. 
currently titled Final Cut. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just white people. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that yet? Not yet. I know Josh, I think, reviewed it and gave it a 10. He was a big fan. I, I saw it, Joe Bob, in an episode, so I got to see it. And I'm sure Josh will agree with me. I don't want this remade. Just because of how that movie is, It's it goes in a completely different direction than what you think is going. And how that movie is, I don't want it remade. It was amazing, perfect, just one of the most surprisingly one of the most surprising films I've seen in my life. Like I was not expecting to go the way it did and I couldn't have been happier with how they did it. It it's an awesome film. I do not want it remade. It's I find I find remakes insulting. Like you you know, it's not you making an original thing. It's you trying to take somebody else's awesome thing and pass it off as your own shit. And that's, you know, I was an English major in my undergrad. That's fucking plagiarism. <laughs> it, I don't so I just put, I hate that shit. We put all this effort into like remaking good movies that are getting re-releases on Blu-ray and DVD and streaming. So like they get re-released all the time anyway. Yeah. We make a bad movie that isn't getting as much love. So then maybe people will be like, well, the remake's like, I want to kind of go check out that original one. Yeah. I mean, you know, if I was, you know, a sculptor and I sculpted something amazing, like, you know, the Statue of David or some shit, I'm going to be like, that's fantastic. I'm very happy with that. I'm going to put that in a museum and look at it every day. But if I kept fucking up this one thing, I'm going to keep working at it. Try to make it better. Try to, you know, redo it and think like, I'm going to make this really good this time. Makes sense. You don't, you know, if you already have an awesome movie, don't keep making it because you can't capture lightning in a bottle twice like no but if you fucked up once you know try try again it yeah i mean there are very few remakes like very few remakes that outmatch the original then there are very few that i even remotely like if you go even beyond that group you know what i mean like personally i like the friday 13th remake right i would still like just me personally i like it I would still take the like those first six movies over it any day. Well, there's a few hor- like there's a few remakes I enjoy for what they are, but there's so so few, if any, that I can think of that surpass the original. I can't off my top of my head. The fly like, and even, the thing. Hmm? The fly and the, the fly yeah. And the, thing. the fly the thing. I'd throw the mummy in there too. The ninety nine one. Uh, I know a lot of people. I need to. I need to watch it myself. I know a lot of people say the Blob from the eighties. So I've heard. I've heard that's a big one. So it it can be done, but it is very very rare. Yeah, and it is. You know, you got to do something incredible. You got to do something crazy that completely changes the tone and feeling of the original film. Yeah, and that's what well, the Fly and the Thing very much did. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, they. And you know they yeah they took those movies and made something completely different while still honoring what came before that with their movies. Yeah, for sure. Like one that I can tolerate because I think it's I just I think it's a good mixture of you know tongue in cheek and a great cast is 2011's Fright Night, which is the remake of one of my all time favorite horror films. So I was very uh, hesitant going into that one, and I thought you know what, not bad. I, I remember thinking it wasn't bad when I saw it. I remember like renting it and liking it. Um, for me personally, is actually and um, uh, same concept almost, but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake does not obviously beat like the original film. Like I hold that on such a high 
uh, pedestal. But I do like the remake. I think the remake pretty much actually knows what it's going, trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that that one counts. I think that one is pretty decent. But like you said, you know, Texas Chainsaw is such a bona fide classic that coming, you know, getting on even footing with that is next to impossible. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost, it's probably never going to happen. But like I said, the remake, it, it accomplished to me exactly what it was trying to do. And I enjoyed it. And I have watched it many a times. I, I've gone back to it quite a bit. Well, you know, here's hoping. I I don't know why this is necessary, uh, but here it is. Final cut. Oh, I'll just keep watching one kind of the dead. I'm fine. Um, this was really cool. George Romero's final unproduced zombie film, Twilight of the Dead, is on the verge of starting production thanks to the efforts of Romero's widow, Suzanne Romero. The film was intended to conclude Romero's zombie franchise that began with 1968's Night of the Living Dead. Before his death, Romero had finished a treatment, and Suzanne has been meeting with screenwriters to finish the script and get the movie finished. And this is this is really cool. One final Romero zombie film to tie it all together. That's just great news. I'm, I'm excited. Actually, uh, I know Josh mentioned on Slither. I got the book also, The Living Dead. That, oh, okay. uh, yeah, she had his wife had worked with this author stand by Daniel Krauss to uh finish it. And it, if she applies what she did with that book to that script, it's gonna be great because the book you cannot tell which one is this new author, which is Romero. It feels so much like Romero wrote that book start to finish. So I'm excited based off what she was able to pull off with getting this book finished now and to see what she can do with a movie now. And his final, what was supposed to be his final zombie movie. Yeah, this is this is gonna be really cool. Um, I hope that the team of screenwriters is like, you know, just like the best guys doing zombie shit right now. Like that would be just fantastic. Like, you know, I'd throw Edgar Wright in that mix. I think he'd be cool to be to be there because he clearly knows how to honor Romero. I would, I can't believe I'm saying this, but anyone that isn't attached to Walking Dead, I'll be fine with. Oof. That's that's a low blow, but I get I'm it. So, I'm sorry. I'm tired of them being up their ass in delusion about, oh, show's doing really good. Your numbers suck, and the show is kind of dragging its feet. I'll get into that another day. It's like that meme of the dog sitting at the table and the room's on fire, and he's like, this is fine. <laughs> you know? That's exactly what. Oh, exactly what it is. <laughs> six ep. Okay, look, I sat through those fucking six bonus episodes, and all I could think was like, "How is it? You sit there with you had twenty million at your peak, your peak twenty million viewers. You're now down to like one or two million at best an episode. How do you look at those numbers? Go, oh yeah, we're doing great." You know what? We know the pandemic. We didn't get that finale out in time for season 10. But, you know, because we have this awesome one to two million viewers an episode. Again, at peak was 20. Uh, you know what we'll do for you guys? Six bonus episodes. Six. And it was like, it almost felt in those six episodes, I was watching it. You know, let's say you turn the show off after the season's over and the characters just keep living their lives. 
<laughs> it goes on without you until you tune in next season. That's what those six episodes felt like. I was just seeing the shit that goes down when I turn the TV off. It, that, that sounds terrible. It was so bad. It meandered. It was clearly filmed during a pandemic. Ah, yeah, don't don't get them. And I and I love Greg Nicotero. Just no, get someone that's not attached to the fucking show. Well, thankfully, I broke up with The Walking Dead before the relationship got toxic. <laughs> and I'm sorry to hear that you're still trapped in that one. <laughs> I hate being a completionist sometimes. I'm gonna go back to it just in my own time when everything's settled down. <laughs> I'm in no hurry to find out which cast member is going to go crazy this season. It's probably going to be Carol. It's always Carol. It's always Carol. Cause God bless Daryl has any other fucking emotion. Daryl should have been beaten to death by Negan in the season seven premiere to really prove this motherfucker serious. Well, and to finally go with their kind of like no one safe on this show. God, them in Game of Thrones, man. No one's safe on our shows, at least until halfway through the run when the shows are way too big and we have characters we know you want to keep alive or else you will walk away from us. But yeah, no one is safe. I want to release... I'm, I'm a writer. I've written a few books. I want to write a book, that, like a series, that follows a main character and you are so certain he's the main character. He's the guy. He's the man. He's done. You know, he's the chosen one or some bullshit. And then halfway through the first book, his ass gets killed so unceremoniously, and then we follow somebody else for the rest of the franchise. I want to do that just just to see what people think. I feel like I feel like people would be fine. I think people forget they did that shit with Scream. You all thought True Barrymore was going to be your main character, and spoiler for those of you who have yet to see Scream, she's not. <laughs> she dies like and guess what we moved on we got three sequels after that with a fourth sequel on the way fifth yeah. movie fifth sequel so so i think at this point i think they should kill nev campbell in the opening act of scream five i would still watch the rest of scream five how fucking ballsy would that be if they did that, that would be ballsy <laughs> like, i don't want to I wouldn't be surprised. I've seen the guys move, other movie ready or not, which I loved. So I wouldn't have what seeing how that movie went, especially its ending. I would not be surprised if they did some shit like that. I wonder if they'd have to get like somebody's blessing, like the studio or like Wes Craven's estate, or how that would work. Uh I doubt the studio now that the Weinsteins have been taken down. Ooh. Oh, it was Miramax, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a Weinstein production. Who owns Scream now? Yeah. Uh I have to look it up. It was this company that like swooped in and bought a bunch of Weinstein assets and properties. Like as soon as that shit was going on, they swooped in and bought a bunch of shit. Um, I forget who it is. It's not a big company though. So I mean, they might be able to get away with that because I know like Craven's relationship with the Weinsteins degraded after Curse happened. So. Oh, Curse. Yeah, I was like, I've never. I was. I completely. It was literally supposed to do what Scream did for Slashers, but with werewolves. And Weinstein's came in and fucked that movie up. There are so few decent werewolf movies. Like, it's really ridiculous. We could have had a Russ Craven one, and the studio fucked us. 
That's a shame. Hmm. Cursed. I'd like to see that for myself. It's on HBO Max. Well, maybe I'll take a gander. Uh, finally, Oscar-winning actress Olympia Dukakis has passed away at 89 years old after months of ailing health. Uh, Dukakis won her Oscar for her performance in 1987's Moonstruck. She'd also appeared in such films as Steel Magnolias, Mighty Aphrodite, Mr. Holland's Opus, and Away From Her. She will be missed. And I hate to admit it, but I did not know she was still alive. Uh, she just, in 87 in Moonstruck, she seemed so old then. And I was like, huh. So it's more of a shock two ways for me on this one. I hate to admit, but I haven't seen these movies, so... <laughs> I've only seen Moonstruck of this bunch. And she's okay. great in Moonstruck. That's a, that's a funny movie. Moonstruck is... It's a rom. I don't like rom coms typically. I find them trite and ridiculous. But Moonstruck was cute because Nicolas Cage can bring gravitas to fucking anything. I don't care what anyone says. What's this and, back when he brought gravitas? <laughs> well, he plays a one-armed, like Greek love seeker who falls in love with his brother's wife, and that's not shared. the craziest. Not the craziest thing he's played. No, 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 no. And it's cute. It's it's endearing. Everyone's kind of like, you know, looking for love, but I hate to, <laughs> hate to you know, in all the wrong places. I didn't I didn't want to say it, but there it is. And uh it's a cute movie. I liked it. I like I know I made my little like gravitas comment, but I love Nicolas Cage and I don't mind checking anything out with him in it. I read somewhere supposedly he's supposed to be in a Tiger King adaptation where he's playing Joe Exotic. I remember I want, that too, yeah. I want that so bad in my life. <laughs> Did you watch the um the history of swear words? Not series? yet. I, I need to see that because I saw he hosts that. Yeah, and it's fucking hilarious. It's to hear him like enunciate. Like my favorite one was the episode on Dick, because he just like dick. Like he puts his whole face into saying the word and he says that he um he exudes big Nick energy, as he put it. <laughs> like, just little shit like that. It was, it was great. Oh, my God. Dude, yeah. look, I, look, I'm going to put it on record. I, it bugs the shit out of me when people talk about, like, you know who's a bad actor? Nicolas Cage. I'm like, fuck you. No, he's not. I'm like, that guy brings it every single time he does something. I'm like, no, he's, he's actually one of the most committed actors I've ever seen. Nicholas Cage is a great actor who has made some bad choices. Yeah, I'm like, you can by all means say he's picked some terrible movies. That's true. But he's great. And I think like a lot, I think unfortunately, as much as I've been liking his kind of like little mini career resurgence with this dip into like independent horror movies he's been doing a lot. Of course, not a lot of people are watching those things. But if you watch him in that, he's acting like early acting style. They're like uh, mom and dad. Mandy, um, I need to see his new one, Really's Wonderland. I heard he doesn't oh, yeah. talk, but he's like really good in it. Yeah. So Dude, he, Mandy proved to me that he's still got the spark. Like he still has talent in him. And I wish more people would rec- like realize that. Yeah. He's still I, Academy Award winning actor, Nicolas Cage. Exactly. And I want to show people because me and actually it's funny when we, I saw me and Josh saw it actually at the same time when he came on Shutter. I was in San Diego at the time going to uh, school for Aztec, and he was still in Bremerton 
we sunk, we synced it to where we were watching at the same time and texting each other. And we both commented on that bathroom scene. Oh, yeah. He goes in there. It's that one shot. And he is rage, grief, total fucking just crazy crazy there for a moment. Like everything. One take. All in a span of like, what, five minutes? That was fucking acting. I want to show people to be like, tell me again he's not a good actor. Because look at this right here. It's magical. A Nicolas Cage film is an experience to me. He's his own genre at this point. He, I will always watch something if his name's attached. Yeah, I will. I don't give a shit what the hell the rest of the movie's about. If he's in it, I'm in. <laughs> yes, that's why I really want him. I want this show exotic show with him as show exotic. I can't wait to him say that bitch Carol Baskin. <laughs> and with his, he'll have the mullet and everything. So you know, Cage, he goes all in. He is just crazy enough to do that. And <laughs> yeah, bring it on. Oh, well, anyway, rest in peace, Olympia Dukakis. Uh, you got to act with one of our greatest national treasures, Nicolas Cage. Ah, I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. So before we get into Mortal Kombat, let's talk a little bit about the other three films that came out this weekend, all three of which I got to see. Separation, first of all. I am so tired of this specific movie because they make it three or four times a year. It's always a studio backed, a big studio backed horror film releasing in theaters that does, has no fucking clue what it wants to do, but it saw the conjuring and was like, make that because that's what happens. And this movie is so nonsensical. It portrays, the worst parents I've ever seen. Just a mom who is so vindictive simply because her husband's unemployed. Like, that's all he's done. All he does is just not have a job for a while, like a couple months. He's a great father. He's a good person. But she's like, you don't have a job, so I'm taking your child away forever. And then, like, she's literally screaming on the phone, she's mine! Like, it's so over-the-top vindictive. And then the ghost shit makes no sense it comes out in broad daylight just walks like there's this like weird puppet looking thing that wanders into frame randomly throughout the movie and it's so the buildup is is non-existent so it's just like what the hell is that there's no fear involved it's just like what what the hell is this and yeah i was uh, brian cox was there and i felt bad for that because he is so much better than this and um I very much do not like Rupert Friend as an actor. I think he's terrible. And he was so miscast as the dad in this. And I couldn't say enough negative things about this. I mean, the guy who made it is the dude who made The Devil Inside. So I don't know how he was able to keep making well, movies after that. Not just that movie. He also made The Boy. Yeah. Which I also sat through that. I, have you seen that one yet? I have not. Oh, yeah, I sat through that. So, look, admittedly, I watched that mainly because uh, Lauren Cohen from The Walking Dead's in it, and I think she's hot. That was my driving force. I can't admit it. And you know what? On her front of looking good, it delivered. Problem is, everything else I wanted in a movie, actually, pretty much, I like the important stuff I wanted in a movie, not just, like, a pretty actress. Uh, it failed horrendously. And, yeah, after, like, between that and Devil Inside, I have yet to sit through The Boy too. So I'm like, no, you're not tricking me again. And then I saw the trailer for this, saw who directed it, and I was like, nope. 
this, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. This guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, William Brent Bell is a fucking hack. <laughs> and it's time to retire because you can't make a good movie. I, I you know, I don't, I, I try not to disrespect because it's, it's a bitch to get movies made, but dear God, man, this is now your fourth movie. Give me something good. Yeah, it's the same shit. You know, it's just, like I said, they make this film every year. You know, The Turning, Devil Inside, The Unholy. Like, it's just, you take a concept, you shove it down our throats, you cast one or two big name actors, you never actually deliver on anything, and we all leave disappointed. Well, this is the thing, and it might hopefully change with this whole, like, you know, like how theaters having to react with the pandemic and reopening. They got away with it for so long because they make these movies for cheap. And then they would do the dump month, right? January, February, because then they could make their money back. So there's nothing else to go fucking see. So people were like, well, let's go see it. You know, that's why we end up like with the shitty ass grudge re- remake that. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, you we're re remaking films now. That's where we're at. Yeah. Re remaking films. I'm going to try to not rant about how much I hate that movie because you saw it in my review when I sent it to you. Um, but, you know, like, they release it around that time for very cheap, and guess what happens? So there's nothing else to see people, so people go see it, and it makes money. Like, it makes over its budget. It's a, it's kind of a shady trick or a business savvy, depending on how you want to look at that. But that's how they've been getting away with this for so long, is that, like, they, between budget and timing when they release it, they can make their money back, and it's, like, no loss for anyone. Hopefully, between how Unholy did not do good. I'm sure I haven't really heard Jack shit about this doing any good at the box office that with theaters reopening and like post almost post pandemic, I would say, I don't know if really post yet or not. Um, that hopefully this shit will change and we'll kind of see it fade away. Hopefully right now, separations holding at an 11% rotten tomatoes score. Um, it's made about 1.8 million worldwide so far. Um, trying to find its budget. Uh, there is it's not a. I can't find its budget. <laughs> not surprised. Don't see this. It's a waste of time, waste of money. And you know, I've seen a lot of horror films now. I know they can do better. So there's no excuse at this point. I'm tired of watching this movie. It's well, yeah. I'm, d- I'm done. When you made a good comment, it's like, you know, they saw the country, right? I mean, they do that. Sh- studios do that shit all the time. More so, well, I need to do it with any genre, but especially horror. Yeah. Something like the conjuring takes off and they don't latch onto why conjuring did so well, but oh, that type, that type of movie took off. That's what we're going to make. They keep pumping it out, you know, and they do it all the fucking look at uh, the new Halloween. Halloween did its concept like it's a sequel that ignores everything past the first original movie. How many goddamn horror film franchises have been announced now that are doing the exact same fucking thing? Yeah. It's, you know, there's these trends and the studios go by what makes money. And if that made money, then clearly if we do the same thing to our thing, it's going to make money too. They're like, you know, the fucking seagulls and finding nemo it's ridiculous it's a bunch of hive mind idiots who don't actually know what they're fucking doing it, and it just bugs me and now don't and don't get me wrong like sometimes if you get like 
I'll use the upcoming Chainsaw Massacre reading, for example, because it is doing the same thing. It's ignoring all sequels, direct sequels to the original movie. I have hope for that, though, because it's not... You have someone like Fede Alvarez coming in to produce it, who has proven to be really good with movies like Don't Breathe and The Evil Dead remake, reboot, what the fuck you want to say that Evil Dead movie? Um, So I think, like, yeah, like I said, when you... When it's a studio that just looks at it and goes, okay, let's pump a movie out, like that out. That's where it goes bad. When you have someone that says, like, yeah, we are going to use this concept from a prior movie, but this was not, that's just a part of what we're doing. And they are approaching it with the love and care needed. Yeah. Then it can still work. So I'm actually, because of things he said in interviews about the upcoming Chainsaw Massacre, that's a case where, like, yeah, I'm actually, like, really excited for it. You know, it's just that concept staying. There's a lot of stuff they're doing with it that has me excited. Yeah, that's why I'm looking forward to Candyman. It's just the same vein. It's, you know, people, all I care about is like, are the people involved aware of the film's legacy? Are they aware of the backlash that could potentially happen? And do they care about the product? Like, who is here for the money? And, the, you know, the less people who are there for the money, the better, obviously. Right. So yeah, and then yeah, another inspection yet like what we saw with Unholy and now separation. There was no care, just like hey, this is conjuring people want their fucking you know, until the slasher revival kicks off in what the next year or two, all the films they got talked about and that have been announced. Um, you know, they're still like, oh, they still want their fucking paranormal movies. We could just keep pumping those out. That's what they want. They don't want found footage anymore, they don't want torture porn, paranormal. Well, I've I've always seen horror. I've always compared it as kind of, you know, I think I've talked about this on the Filmgasm podcast before. It's like panning for gold in a stream in 1849. Like there's a lot of rock dust. There's a lot of just mud and shit that you got to get through to find those little nuggets of gold. It's work. And you are going to be disappointed a lot, but it is worth it to find a Halloween or a Candyman or a Sinister. It is worth it. Yeah, well, I think that's why there's such a there's like unlike other genres as a community when it comes to horror, unlike because with horror because of that like analogy, you have to like get behind creators more so than anything. Yeah, more so than studio, and even if you do get behind a studio, it has to be someone like Blumhouse who has a proven track record, or even like A twenty four, right? Like proven track record companies. Yes. You cannot sit there and just be like, well, anything Universal does. Are, because Universal was fucked up with Universal monster movies somehow, minus recently. But again, they partnered with Blumhouse. There you go. Because uh, Jason Blum and A24 have a creative approach to what they latch on to. They actually care about script and atmosphere, and they want to make something good. They just don't want to. They don't just want to make something. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a. Here's a studio factory. It's like they are fans wanting to make movies for fans. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, it's it's like you said. I think that's why there's such a strong community within the horror genre because we have to get behind actual creators that want to give us something else. We're going to keep getting whatever Warner Universal when Weinstein's existed, whatever they wanted to put out. You know what I mean? Half the time, the shit they put out is shit. Honestly. Yeah. We've gotten to a point where, you know, fans are making their own movies and they are vastly better because, you know, I've often thought, you know, that's why I wrote Consequence, my, my, my vampire novel, because I've watched a lot of vampire movies. Now, these are shit. I could probably do better than that. <laughs> and 
wrote my own. And a lot of people with a lot more clout than I have have done the same and managed to make their shit. And, you know, we talk about it on these podcasts because it's stuff that resonates with us. And it's just going to reinvigorate a new generation of fans to want to make something that they think is awesome. Yeah. I, I got movies. I got merchandise. I got fucking t-shirts, tattoos. Like, yeah, I'm with you, man. <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me. Uh, next up, Without Remorse. Uh, Amazon original movie uh, based on Tom Clancy's novel of the same name, but very different story, apparently. I haven't read any Clancy because I just I'm not a big espionage thriller guy. And um, I watched this film entirely based on the fact that I really like Michael B. Jordan. And he's the best part about this movie. He's good. Uh, the story is pretty by the numbers when it comes to espionage thriller. You got your Russian anarchists. You got your government conspiracy. You got your sec def. You got everything that needs to be there. For this to be a Clancy story. <laughs> and it's just, it kind of just happens the way you think it's going to happen. There's like a post credits tease for the next movie that's, I don't think it's going to fucking happen. And <laughs> the guy who you think is like, you know, there, there's this, supposed to be this big twist at the end, like, oh my God, he's the real bad guy. And from the second he shows up on screen, you're like, of course he's the fucking bad guy. <laughs> like, there, there's no twist there. It's very obvious who the bad guy is in this film. And um, the action sequences were decent, but overall, this was pretty lukewarm. I gave it a seven. Okay. Oh. I might get to it again. Like I said, beginning, I have like a laundry list of films I need to catch up on. That's not exactly high up on there for me. I do. I, I love. Yeah, I'll watch these films so you don't have to. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> no, like you, I I like Michael B. Jordan a lot. I very great great actor that we have currently. Oh yeah. Um. I. I have read a couple of Tom Clancy books and he's a great writer, but dear God, I get lost in the jargon. So it's hard for me to really get into it. Yeah. Um, and I guess now that I'm in the military, it's like, I really don't want to read that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and then um, as far as the prime thing, like I do watch the show Jack Ryan with John Krasinski, which I like. Um but even then, like I saw, I did watch the trailer for this. I was like, eh, it looks okay. Looks like it's gonna be another by the numbers thing. And from what I'm hearing, it's by the numbers. Yep. But you know, I've often spoken about my goal to watch as many 2021 released films as I can, regardless of service or theater release or where I can find them. I'm gonna fucking sit down and do the work because it's it's a personal goal for me. So without remorse was one of those films I just had to watch, and oh, I knew it was never gonna be. Like a you know, a full episode topic for this show. It just didn't have that vibe, but I figured I could mention it. Now when it's like part of with the one we are talking about. Uh, but yeah, you know what? I'll be here to support you on your journey, and I'm proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and you know, if I hadn't made this goal, I wouldn't have watched the next film, which I fucking loved: The Mitchells versus the Machines on Netflix. Uh, I remember seeing the preview to this like a year and a half ago when the film was called Connected. And I remember thinking like, that looks okay. And then it just left my mind. But then the trailer came back again and it was called The Mitchells versus The Machines. And it's a Netflix release and, you know, the, the plan. So I watched it and I got drawn in immediately. This is a beautiful animated film, a hilarious movie. 
and just great vo- uh, vocal performances from everybody. Olivia Coleman's the bad guy. I mean, come on. And it's just, it's a robot apocalypse where this one dysfunctional family are the only humans who don't get captured. So they're the ones who have to save the world. And it's funny as hell. It's, I loved it. It's Danny McBride and, and Maya Rudolph for the parents. And oh, Danny McBride? He's the dad. Oh, fuck yeah. Rick Mitchell. <laughs> it's, ah, he, it's so he's, funny. He still has a show scene in anything he's in. Uh, I actually, this was the one I was kind of mad at myself. I didn't, that I did not have time to sit down and watch before we recorded because I was trying to watch this one because of the people who made it, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, I believe. Yeah. Um, I have loved their prior animated fair um, when it comes to the Lego movie and Into the Spider-Verse. They're fucking, I think they just produce Into the Spider-Verse. They, direct they just produce this too. Yeah, okay. But generally, I've noticed when their name attached, and I think they also produced the Jump Street movies. They did, yeah. Yeah, so, so far, when it comes to, like, comedy and what they've been attached to, I have loved. They they know how to do this, like, weird blend of high-energy, zany, over-the-top, throwing as much shit as they can at you, and yet it stays coherent and hilarious. I don't know how they do it, but they yeah. pull it off. And I, I heard that they actually just like went into the Spider-Verse. They play with animation styles a lot in this movie. And it's it somehow, hard. yeah, somehow they still pull it off. I don't know what they're on. They keep pulling this off, but they're doing something, right? Eric Andre is in it. He plays um, like a software developer and you get to see him get kicked in the balls real hard by a robot. And it's so out of the blue and hilarious. And it's the comedic timing is fucking brilliant. I was so surprised at how funny this was. It's, it's a family comedy. It's PG, but it is hilarious. And I definitely recommend checking this out to everybody who wants to laugh for a bit. It's great. Hey, I know that this is one that, okay, this is high off my list. I do really want to see this. Once I, like I said, once I saw those two names, I was like, oh, I want to see this. I have, I just love what those guys do. They are fucking perfect. I like this plan of mine because I'm getting to see a lot of films I otherwise would have just kind of thrown aside. And I'm just, you know, I knew separation was going to suck, but I went in anyway. I knew without remorse was going to be dull, but I went in anyway. But Mitchell's versus the machines, I didn't really know anything about it. And I was very surprised. So, you know, sifting for gold again. It's, I found some. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, sometimes it's the ones you don't expect that surprise you. Um, And I I know what you mean, honestly. Like, I know what you mean when I say everything this year. Cause I do generally like every year try to see as much horror films as I can. Like that's my personal every year. Like, okay, watch as much horror no. in a regular non COVID year. Um, if it's something like separation or unholy, I wait <laughs> until I can stream it. Cause I'm like, I don't want to pay money to sit through what looks like a massive piece of shit. Yeah. But sometimes circumstances are different. And I am going to see it, but. Eh. Well, and I have to, you know, make content for this show. So I gotta see shit, <laughs> regardless yeah. of the reviews. <laughs> Honestly, if anything, this gives me more reason to finally go. God, when you know the dump months begin again, <laughs> do those movies in theaters now? This is May. Like we should be getting better shit than this. <laughs> yeah, we also are still on the tail end of a pandemic. So <laughs> yeah, but we've gotten good movies during the pandemic and in the past few months. So there's no excuse for, I, I'm not letting people use the pandemic as an excuse for making a piece of shit film. <laughs> Look, man, 
It was a pandemic. All right. Yeah, is part of the symptoms you not being able to write well? Is that part of it? Probably. <laughs> God. So, on to the main event. Mortal Kombat, or as the 90s movie says, Mortal Kombat! We can't just leave that. Dun, 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 Oh, so I'm curious. What's your Mortal Kombat journey? Uh, how did you get involved with the games? Uh, my journey. So I have not been as hardcore into the games as most. Um, I was always aware of them growing up. I was very aware of that original, like three or four games. Um, I actually probably would say when I started playing was when it kind of got rebooted and brought back when Mortal Kombat Nine came out. Um, I remember seeing like that came out and it just like it blew up again. It became like the forefront of fighting games again. Um, and I would play it and really, you know, really enjoy it. And, I mean, obviously, it was a very updated one, so the graphics were cleaner. Um, the fatalities in turn were a lot more brutal and gory because of it. And it, you know, it's fun. It's such a fun game. I know there's lore attached to it if you play the story, but I'm not really here for the lore. Um, it it's fun and it's one of those that like I don't I actually don't have a copy currently sitting in my house but I will always be down to play I'm not created it but I do enjoy playing the shit out of it right on right on yeah these are fun as hell um, I know a lot of people you know I think it was back when uh, it became NetherRealm Studios behind the games and that's when it got like a lot more like you know, fans kind of flock to it. I've been into Mortal Kombat for quite a long time. Uh, I saw the '95 movie first before I ever played the games, and thought this is weird, but I like that song. Uh, my mom and dad were big fans because back in '95 they left me with my grandparents, got stoned as fuck, and went and saw Mortal Kombat and thought this is amazing. And they've often told me that story. <laughs> um, as a kid on PS2, I had Mortal Kombat Deception, which I played the campaign, and it's like an actual story mode where you like roam around different worlds and have to do tasks and shit. And that was pretty fun. I never finished it because it was really hard, and I got Mortal Kombat Armageddon, which was way better. Uh, that one has like the biggest roster. I think it's every character they've ever done is in Armageddon. You can play, you can create your own characters. I made like Ghost Rider and the Terminator and shit. It's really cool. PS2. So the graphics aren't great, but it is maybe the best. It's my favorite Mortal Kombat game by far. Okay. So much Uh, fun. No, yeah. It, uh, yeah, like I said, I haven't, unfortunately, I've never actually owned a copy. I've always just played at friends' houses, but it was. It was always something I enjoyed. Like, anytime they were like, hey, you want to play Mortal Kombat? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun. I had, um, you know, I, I bought Mortal Kombat 9 used for like five bucks because I don't pay full price for video games anymore. I haven't for a long time. 60 bucks is ridiculous to pay for anything, in my opinion, unless it's like, you know, fucking furniture. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. Hot take. <laughs> uh, I found out later there was like an ultimate edition where Freddy Krueger 
is a playable character. And I was like, fuck, I don't have that one. <laughs> and then later on, they kept doing that in the later games, like in Mortal Kombat 10, they put in like Leatherface, Jason, Predator, uh, Alien. Alien. I think in the, in 11, they did like the Terminator, Rambo. Like it, shit got yeah. crazy. Yeah. they've. I think they've added like a shit ton to like 11's roster. I want to play 11, but again, I'm not, I, I will not pay full price. I'm like Mac at the Italian market. I will not pay full price. <laughs> <laughs> always throwing out, um, it's always Sunny reference on these shows. I, pops I, I always appreciate an always Sunny reference. <laughs> I, uh, I think I, about that all the time. <laughs> I might, I might look at getting eleven when I, I told you earlier I pre-ordered the new Resident Evil. So when I do go to games, so I pick up my copy. I might see about picking up eleven for my PlayStation. See, I now I don't buy DLC either. I, I I'm a loophole guy when it comes to video games. I will wait until they release like a you know complete edition with a K, and get all the you know the Rambo and the Terminator, all the downloadable characters and costumes and shit already there. So I can play then, because I don't. Yeah, that's how I did injustice. No, I'm with you. I, I, it's usually it's only against point with gaming. It's like better just to wait until all the DLCs come out. Because anytime I get so like, do you want season pass? No, I don't. I just want the game, the full complete game that I was paying sixty bucks on. Just give me that. Yeah. I hate to sound like an old fuck, but back in my day, when you paid sixty dollars for a game, you got a hundred percent of the game. And you unlock shit through skill. These days, you pay 60, 70 bucks, you get 30% of the game, and you got to buy more as you go along. That is some horse shit. I have yet to buy more. I literally will pay the 60, 70 bucks, beat the campaign, and go, all right, cool, next game. Me too. <laughs> I don't, no, it's time for me to move on. Yeah, it's, it's a fucking racket. I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why people are willing to just keep giving people, giving companies money like this. Hardcore gamers, man. There are people that look at me like, did you really buy a second Friday 13 box set? Yes. Yes, I did. But, <laughs> so I, I can't say much. There are hardcore gamers that do stuff like that, so. Yeah. It's, you know, everyone's got their thing. Just video games aren't mine. I'll play what I like and then move on. Uh, so a new Mortal Kombat had been in development for over 20 years. The original 95 film was a decent hit. Uh, let's talk about that one for a bit. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's Mortal Kombat, the supremely watered-down PG-13 95 adventure that was not ready for the special effects it had to go with. I mean, it looks like a fucking screensaver. <laughs> it's, but it's a fun movie. Uh, I won't deny that. Yeah, I... So I, I, I watched... For this episode, I watched the first two movies to get prepared. And yeah. yeah, you know, it's a fun movie. It's not, it's like both faithful but not faithful, which is weird. Because it's yeah. faithful in that, like, the characters do look like, for the time that those games were coming out, at that time, they look like their characters. They feel like their characters. Actors do a really good job. The lore is there. Well, minus like Scorpion's weird voice. Which I'm not going to be too insulting because I know that Ed Boon, the creator of Mortal Kombat, did that voice. But oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like there's a lot that is 
surprisingly for a Paul W.S. Anderson video game adaptation, which is its own fucking genre, apparently. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot he surprisingly does right with this movie. And he it is fun. And it cuts to the point. It does not take long to get to the actual tournament and just start fighting. So that part's good. But what it still kind of bugs me that, um, and this is, I guess, a fun fact, Mortal Kombat, the game, is why we even have the M rating in video games. I read that in your review. I was really surprised at that. Yeah, it invented that rating because people were like, holy fuck, what is with all this violence? Like the parents, you know? So they came up with that rating to be like, okay, look, this is, you know, essentially an R-rated game. Um, so to have a game, that franchise, have that legacy attached to your game franchise and the movie adaptation, they're like PG-13. Like, no, like, just make it or And also, like, I, that and the other thing is, and the sequel is also sinful of this. I'm, I'm all about, like, the actor, right? She's ever good for the part. Raiden is an Asian character in the fucking games. Why? <laughs> in God's good name, did they just find two of the whitest actors in the first two movies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Raiden. that's... Mm-hmm. I like look, there can be only one. I like Lambert in Highlander. Nice. Very nice. Thank you. But god damn it, like, no, I don't want to miss it. He does do good. Like he commits. I'll give him that. His performance is fine. I just you can't find anyone else because the rest of the cast is fucking diverse as shit. I don't know why that was the one when they went, mm, nope. It's a diverse cast of terrible actors. Like God, um, I I think they should have cast you know like they did in the new one, some martial artists, some stunt people to actually do some decent fights. Because like Sonya versus Kano, no way in hell Kano loses that fight. Like, no, it's so obvious that she's like barely trying. That's because uh, the guy that got played Kano looked pretty jacked. He, I think he died like in '03 of an overdose, like. The Kano we got in the new one is like the only Kano still alive in like any movie. It's weird. Like Kanos keep dying. You mean the one that apparently broke his back carrying the weight of the movie? Yeah, I've seen those <laughs> memes on Facebook. <laughs> want to get a pen? Want to write this down? Get fucked. <laughs> he he was fucking <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. When she stabs him, like, what the fuck? That's my fucking knife. <laughs> Goddamn. So 95 95 Mortal Kombat, I think, you know, the guy who plays Shang Tsung did a decent job. Um, Goro was, you know, they they did what they could with Goro. They made it work, and it's not bad. Yeah. At least it's practical, so it's aged well. I'll say that much. That's true. But there's no way in hell Johnny Cage beats Goro that easily. That was ridiculous. He kicked him in the nuts. Come on. Yeah. But then he just kind of like lulls him outside. And it, it was it was weird. He just kind of fell into the void. I don't yeah. Know. I also thought it was weird when like first like Scorpion says his line, get over here. But then he kept saying shit. Welcome. Get out here. <laughs> I was like, stop talking. Stop it. 
And the costumes are so fucking lazy. It's just, they just, you know, put a ninja mask and dyed the same coat, two different colors. But Scorpion Sub-Zero has no personality at all. It's I, I I know, but again, if you look at the original, like the games at that time, it's damn near what they looked like in the games. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll I can't, that. so I can't fault it too much when it actually looks pretty spot on to the games at that time. You have Fair to remember enough. the context. Mm, I know. All right. Yes. I, I, all right. I take that back. I take that back. I will, however, leave in the fact that they have no personality. I'll give you that. <laughs> I will give you that, especially compared to the guys playing it. But again, we'll get into the new one here in a minute. Also, why is Katana there if she is not going to do anything? Just to throw a goddamn character into the movie. <laughs> Apparently. I did like the scene where like Reptile gets like absorbed by the statue in Outworld and becomes like Reptile the fighter and fights Liu Kang and he gets to do the bicycle mm-hmm. kick. I thought that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. I'm glad they kept the bicycle kick in. And of course, like the star of this film is the fucking music. It is pure mid-90s techno crazy shit. <laughs> hey, I remember, dude, the moment I hit play and all I hear is Mortal Kombat! Dun, 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 dun. I was like, okay, look, you know what? Goddamn noted with this song. <laughs> we have a um, an outdoor screen at my family's house. We have a projector and an outdoor screen we put on the garage that looks beautiful so we can watch like projected movies outside. And my dad was uh, visiting us a few, about a month ago. And I don't know, I think it was because the new one was coming out, but we all decided Mortal Kombat is what we wanted to watch outside the 90s one. So like we have to, you know, switch, we have to work with the music, music, tune it just right. So it's not blasting across our neighborhood, but I guess we didn't tune it correctly. Cause you know how that movie opens with new line cinema and then Mortal Kombat, like I screamed. So we got that blasted across the fucking neighborhood and it was beautiful. <laughs> or laughed if like your neighbor just came out. I was like, you guys watching Mortal Kombat? And they just sat down. <laughs> that would be awesome. Cause admittedly, when I was like watching this, I noticed this film has a massive cult following. Yeah. Like massive. Like I did not realize how many people love this movie. Well, it's nothing compared to the amount of people who fucking hate 1997's Mortal Kombat Annihilation. The yeah. one and only sequel that derailed this franchise for over two decades. Uh, I've seen this once like 10 years ago and it is Oh my God, is it bad? <laughs> I saw it a couple of days ago. How is it? Oh my God. First off, we get a new, everyone's a free cast except like two actors. Yeah. <laughs> and none of them are even remotely as good. Somehow. Uh, I've never watched a movie which just throws character after character after character after character after character goes, oh shit, plot? Fuck it. Character after character after character at you. And I'm sitting there going, where's the plot? What, what are we? I was, I got lost. It was like watching a fucking Michael Bay movie, like the newest Transformers. I'm sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? And then there's so many times with the CGI where you can clearly tell that they rotoscoped the actor because the background is clearly fake, and then you can see the fucking lines, the computer-generated lines to separate the actor. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh my god, you could not take the time to make this even look real? 
no, it was like, it was rushed. It was, you know, conveyor belted. Like they said, you know, Mortal Kombat was a hit. So clearly what people want is more Mortal Kombat. So shove everything in. And, I mean, yeah. <laughs> we did want more. They did want more Mortal Kombat, but we wanted another good movie. Yeah. Not I remember that, uh, Brian Thompson as Shao Kahn. I remember him. Uh, I'm a big X-Files fan, so I, I like Brian Thompson. And I'm a Joe Dirt fan, so yeah. <laughs> I, I like Brian Thompson, but he was like, Shao Kahn is supposed to be this, you know, super ancient emperor badass that everyone's fucking afraid of, and he just looked ridiculous in that helmet that did not fit his head. Dude, at one point, you know the whole thing with Jax, right? He has robotic arms because he doesn't have fucking arms. Yeah, and in that, he's like wearing like robot sleeves. I was say, at one point, and they get ripped off him, and he's still using his arm. I was like, is this like, did you just forget to take yeah. out his arm? Like, what the fuck's going on? There's a whole like, don't worry, Jax. The, ro- the real robot arms were inside you all along. Like, they do, they fucking do that. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> was, as soon as I saw that, I had to rewind. I was like, "There's no way. There's no way in hell." No, it. Holy shit! This is. They meant this. This is. They meant to do this. This is not an accident. Fuck. It's yeah. I remember Nightwolf uh, popping up at one point. Uh, I remember Sindel having that. Like people called it the worst line of dialogue in movie history. The whole like, mother, you're alive, and she goes, "Too bad you will die." <laughs> like, it's it's a meme at this point. <laughs> oh yeah, Nightwolf pops up literally to show off his animality, which looks atrocious and it's awful CGI, and then he disappears for the rest of the movie. He is gone. Robin Show must have really had no choice, like. What happened to that guy? He was in Mortal Kombat 1 and 2, Beverly Hills Ninja, and then he fucking bounced. It's probably because of those last two movies you named. Yeah, yeah, probably. I think I answered my own question. I also hated how Johnny Cage is so unceremoniously murdered at the beginning of the movie. I don't... Like, they know that he's like a fan favorite, and they're just like, and he's dead. And the, the first guy wouldn't even show up just to die two minutes into the movie. They had to recast him for that scene. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's a terrible movie. It's one of the worst movies ever made. God, it's almost like all these actors pulled the a, a page out of the Carney Reeves book and read that script and went, well, you know what? I'm not doing this sequel. <laughs> that was a Speed 2 reference for those who did not get that. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking like Keanu has done a lot of sequels. What, what did he oh, turn down? He speed turned two. down. Yeah, he was smart enough to speed two. I'm saying that's like that's my reference. That's what they pulled. Like, oh god, no. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, Roger Ebert fucking loved Speed Two. I'll never understand that. Yeah, he shits on like half of the '80s horror films, but Speed Two was a class act to him. Yeah, I think he gave it like three and a half, if not four stars. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was high. Yeah, um. Maybe. <laughs> so when James Wan signed on to produce a remake in 2015, there was finally light at the end of this tunnel. Coupled with an R rating and a cast and crew who were fans of the game franchise, we got a new Mortal Kombat that was finally an awesome movie. And this this is going to be the definitive Mortal Kombat movie. I mean, holy shit, did they 
pull out all the stops, but they didn't go too too big. They went just enough. Yeah, and it, you know it's funny because I've seen online like a lot of fans are like, I didn't really think this Mortal Kombat was that good. I just I thought I'm like, what more did you want? I'm like, first off, the lore you guys are talking about, the story you're talking about the games has never been the biggest focus of the fucking games. Like these games, it's a fighting game franchise. It's meant for you to fight people. And this movie to me completely aced the tone of the current iteration of the games, the look of the characters, how they look now, the gore. God, the gore. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> impressive. Yeah, seeing the brutality, seeing the fucking signature move, like this movie to me just nailed it. Hell yeah. Could not have said it better myself. So Simon McCoyd was hired to direct, and this is the only thing he's ever done. For a complete novice, he did a damn good job. Like, this is it in his entire filmography. Actor, producer, director, writer, anything, it's this. And that shows to me, like, they really did not have much faith. Like, they just hired some schmo to do this. Yeah, which surprised me. You would think, like, when by the time James Wan had signed on to this movie to produce, he had clout. Like, he wasn't just the guy making this weird movie in a bathroom. Now, this is post-conjuring, James Wan. <laughs> yeah, this is, he's had a soft franchise, he's had an insidious franchise, and now Conjuring. Like, he's had a triple threat here. And yet they were still like, uh, we don't know. God, I hate those assholes. We all know who we're talking about. Uh, Louis Tan stars as Cole Young, a washed-up MMA fighter who was chosen to be one of Earth's champions. Tan does all his own fight choreography and got his start playing background thugs in movies like Olympus Has Fallen and The Hangover Part 3. He also briefly played Shatterstar in Deadpool 2 and appeared in the AMC series Into the Badlands. And while I was hesitant about, you know, putting in an uh, original character who didn't have a game reference, I thought this guy was pretty good. Yeah, he he worked for me. Um, to me, like I was, I was hesitant. I was like, you guys could have used like any of the game, like those hundreds of characters at this point. But again, just like the games, right? They're always adding new characters. Why not? Let's get in the spirit and add a new character for the movie. Um, and honestly, like, I, yeah. And honestly, like I know a lot of people were like, "Well, where's Johnny Cage? Johnny Cage? Johnny Cage? Johnny Cage?" I can see now what how I'm. We'll get to his character in a minute, but with Kano and how charismatic he was. I think it worked not having Johnny Cage and that would have just been too fucking the almost same type of characters competing for screen time. So I think what having him, it balanced out and it gave us someone, especially if you don't play the game, someone to identify with, with this character. Yeah. And it gave us something to look forward to in the sequel for fans to be like, Oh, okay. Johnny Cage is coming next time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jessica McNamee plays Sonya Blade, who brings together Earth's champions, but is not chosen herself, at least not at first. McNamee has appeared in such films as The Meg, Battle of the Sexes, and Chips. And Sonya is interesting in this. I feel like she's a lot more approachable than she was in the 95 movie. But also her motivations are a little vague here of like why she's bringing together Earth's champions if she was not chosen herself. Yeah, they don't they don't do a great job of really like giving her clear motivations. It I will say I, I like you, I was happy that she wasn't so fucking obsessed with getting well, yeah, that and like was the original movie. Well, and like she was likable. Like that was big. Yeah. 
I've never liked uh, Bridget Wilson. I've always thought she was just kind of mean. <laughs> you know, the Mortal Kombat and Billy Madison both kind of did that to me, where I'm like, she's not a very nice person. <laughs> and I like this Sonya better. Yeah, no, I liked her. Uh, I thought she did a good job. So, yeah. Um, Josh Lawson plays Kano, a sarcastic mercenary who betrays Earth and joins Outworld Warriors. Lawson was actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Live Action Short Film for 2016's The 11 O'Clock. Lawson has also appeared in such films as Anchorman 2, Bombshell, The Campaign, and The Little Death, which he also wrote and directed. So he's a very accomplished filmmaker who just wanted to play Kano for a little bit. <laughs> um, all right. You know what? I'm glad he did because he fucking stills the show. He is so great in this movie. Kano wins, you fucking beauty. Like It's, per- it's perfect. He was so, so good. F- funny as hell. <laughs> you knew from the beginning he was going to be a bad guy. Oh, like, yeah. He's like a bad guy, but I, ah, he was cracking me up throughout the whole movie. Now, hold on, man. How do you get that shit out of your hands, man? Am I going to get superpowers? Like, just <laughs> for me, the scene that had me laughing the hardest was when he called Kung Lao Kung Pao because it was so mean. <laughs> <laughs> I like when Kung Lao was like, I am Kung Lao. Never heard of you, mate. <laughs> Completely deflates it. <laughs> I love the idea that Earth champions are chosen at random by the dragon emblem, and you can actually, like, if you kill them, you take their place. And Kano just killed some unlucky fucker and became Earth's champion. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> so good. I like when he's doing the little fight thing, and the guy, uh, Liu Kang, keeps like kicking him down to the ground. Does that little <laughs> low kick, and he's like, I swear to God, you do it again. And like he jumps up and then still gets him. <laughs> my God. Yeah, it was, he was so well cast. He was easily my favorite character. And from what I've been reading, he's everyone's favorite character. He was just funny as hell. Uh, yeah, great improvement over the dude who played him in 95, who was very much just like vague mercenary bad guy with a fake robot eye. Yeah, no, he, yeah, he landed. I know the guy, the guys who are next to me are, COVID next to me, if you will, because the whole seat next to me was empty. Yeah, I could hear them laughing their ass off anytime he said something. And they're pretty much like the rest of the audience. Like, even if you could tell people that may not have been into it, they were laughing their ass off anytime he said something. He was great. Stole the show. Oh, by far. By far. I hope, he, I know he's, you know, he's dead, but I want him to come back in the sequels just randomly. I don't see how, but whatever. If he doesn't, hopefully Johnny Cage picks up the slack. Be the same guy, same <laughs> actor, and just never redress it. <laughs> like his twin brother went to Hollywood or some shit. <laughs> um, Joe Taslam plays Bihan, the Lin Kuei assassin who becomes Sub Zero. Taslam played Jaka in The Raid, which we talked about at length on a recent Filmgasm podcast, and has also appeared in Star Trek Beyond and Fast and Furious 6. And this guy exceeded my fucking expectations as Sub-Zero. Oh, he, he was my second favorite character by far. The whole like background feud between him and Scorpion that's going around, like going on around the movie and it culminates in that epic fight at the end. Oh. So well done. You 
to me, the reason so the reason to me that these two stand out so much, and I'm not saying this is not to get any other actors because it's just how they chose to play these characters. You could tell these guys are clearly fans of the game and fans of those characters, and it was just shining through. There was moments uh towards the end of the movie that Joe Taslam does things with his fucking eyes as Sub-Zero that he doesn't have to speak. His eyes do the talking for you. Like the whole when, you know, he does the his knife and he dodges it towards the end of the movie and he does that fucking look at him. Like he knows, like, I know what you're going to do, asshole. I'm going to dodge it this time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Goddamn. Yeah. This was, I'm so happy we got like a proper Mortal Kombat and we have this forever to just enjoy. It's it feels good. It it feels good when we get something made by people who are fans of the fucking source material. Damn straight on every level, video games, books, TV. We need people who give a fuck to make something good. That's not a crazy st- like idea to me. <laughs> it's not because when we get movies like this, yeah. uh, Mekhod Brooks plays Jack's metal armed special ops badass. Brooks is known for playing James Olsen on Supergirl. He's also had recurring roles on the TV shows Desperate Housewives and True Blood. He was great as Jax, who actually got his fucking arms blasted off and got, you know, proper robot arms. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. He surprised me because I've, I've, I've been watching Supergirl. So when I heard he got cast, I was like, really him? I was like, not, of- yeah, I w- he was not someone I envisioned. But then when I saw the movie, I was like, okay, yeah, he's... He's knowing, yeah. Actually, did you know when the trailer came out, like that kick-ass Red Band trailer that I watched like 50, 100 times, the scene when you see him lose his arms, apparently people were getting on going, why oh, would they put a spoiler in the trailer? And everyone was like, replying back, like, hey, if you play the games, that's not a spoiler. Oh, my sweet dear Lord. Like, oh, I hate people so much. Yeah. I was like, it's not a spoiler. Like, Jax has robot arms in the games. Like... Everyone just loves to bitch. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was cool. I liked that his like arcana was better robot arms. <laughs> it was cheesy, but neat. It was. And you know what? I did like the Kano jokes he was making at him. <laughs> oh, but he was like, oh, I'm keeping these motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I love when Kano freaks out at Kung Lao who calls him like a coward and he's like he gets his power and it's the laser and he's like completely goes like I got fucking laser like he just starts <laughs> praising his superpowers completely it's forgets better. the conversation it's better than fire hands pussy <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ I wonder how much of his like random riffing was ad-libbed I hope, I, I hope a lot I hope so, so too give, give me a fucking Egg roll. <laughs> oh my god! I just saw that movie advertised on my TV too. <laughs> um, Tadanobu Asano plays Lord Raiden, god of thunder and lightning, and Earth's protector. Asano is best known for his role as Hogan the Grim, as Guardian Warrior in all three of Marvel's Thor films. And he also played Genghis Khan in the 2007 film Mongol. Uh, and he was fucking great as Raiden. This is the Raiden I always wanted. You know, a super-powered badass, you know, super-powered Asian badass who knows exactly what he, you know, what must be done. 
you know what? Third time's the charm. We finally got a good goddamn rating. Yeah. Who isn't, you know, the Highlander or Dexter's dad? Like we gotta, we gotta go to one. Yeah. Or not just not just Dexter's dad, but currently starring on Black Lightning, so nerve Arrowverse actor. Yeah. Or you know, Commissioner Gordon's uncle for that brief arc in Gotham. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We finally got finally got a fucking Raiden. And yeah, I liked him a lot. He was he was good. Oh yeah. This film was remarkably well cast. <laughs> uh. Um Chin Han plays the sorcerer Shang Tsung. Han has appeared in such films as The Dark Knight, Contagion, Skyscraper, Ghost in the Shell, and Captain America the Winter Soldier, as well as the Netflix series Marco Polo. And I would I did like his performance. I was hoping for more Shang Tsung. I thought he was a little sparse. But Chin Han did a good job, and I'm looking forward to seeing him again. Yes, uh, I agree. I completely disagree with the goddamn critics online that were like, and we really feel like, you know, he did good in Dark Knight, but we don't feel like he really is believable or Shang Tsung. I'm like, you guys realize he's a fucking actor, right? <laughs> like, his job, his whole purpose in life for work is to act. How about you give him a chance? You make this movie successful. And maybe we'll see what he brings to the table in a Mortal Kombat 2. I was reading a review on Letterboxd and somebody had like, it was pretentious as hell, like, you know, equating Mortal Kombat to like, it, does, it doesn't match the ethereal quality of films from the, like, from, from the classic era. And somebody posted like, shut the fuck up. Like, why are you using phrases like vis-a-vis in a review about Mortal Kombat? Just get the fuck out of here. I, dude, this movie, if I may, like, I've never seen some like such a disconnect between like people who either went in thinking this was going to be some high art movie, even though it's called Mortal Kombat and it's combat's a misspelled. Um, I love that they point that out too. Yeah. That's not even spelled right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then like people who apparently then like in this, you could hear it was like, that didn't seem to be that into the games did not enjoy this movie they were like eh. but i like it was a weird disconnect we we're seeing like people thought it was gonna be more than what it wasn't like it's a fucking video game movie based off mortal Kombat, a fighting game with okay lore at best like yeah. what what did you want like what were you expecting i don't you can't please some people some people just love to be a victim love to complain it's it's their lot in life it's, it's a like, fun movie made by people who would love to make it. What more do you want? Yeah, it's just it's just like the whole thing we talked about Godzilla versus Kong. The human characters. Who gives a fuck? I didn't pay to see them. I paid to see the title characters. I'm here to watch Kung Lao ride Natara like a fucking surfboard into a buzzsaw, and I got it. Oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> Kung Lao wins. Flawless victory. <laughs> fuck yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't understand sometimes when people go into these movies. It's like, did you go in not knowing or like you clear go into a movie and pull anyone? When you go into a movie, make sure your expectations are appropriate for the movie you're watching. This is why trailers are so important. That's why they are there to tell you this is the kind of movie that this that you are going to see. Do you want to see this movie? No? Then fuck off. Yes, come on in. Yeah. That's the point of a trailer. Mortal Kombat's trailer could not have been more clear. Yeah. about what kind of who, film it is who watched that red man go god this looks like oscar-winning material right here <laughs> some prick 
<laughs> God. Um, Hiroyuki Sonata plays Hanzo Hasashi, the legendary warrior who rises from hell to become Scorpion. Sonata has appeared in such films as The Wolverine, Sunshine, Life, 47 Ronin, and Avengers Endgame. He's set to appear in Zack Snyder's new zombie film, Army of the Dead, as well. And I, I was so fucking psyched when he got cast as Scorpion. I, and he delivered. Holy shit, did he deliver. Just the opening scene where he's just fucking up these Lin Kuei warriors. And then at the end, when he pops up, you know, the epic, get over here! And he pulls Sub-Zero off his ancestor. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, which, thank God they fixed that dialogue. That was my only complaint in the trailer. I was like, God, you guys got to f- scrub or something that get over here because it does not sound good. Yeah. And then I saw it, I was like, oh, they fixed it. Hell yeah. That was the symbiote of the Mortal Kombat trailer. And they, they heard you. <laughs> it heard, thank God. Because as soon as, like, yeah. I mean, we'll get to it when we talk about that awesome scene. But, yeah, as soon as I heard the, get over here, I was like, they fixed it. Yes. I know. I remember thinking like, oh, Caleb's going to enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) I did think it's funny that that's the only thing the character says in English in the whole movie. But I don't care. At that point, I was just like, fuck him up. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll talk about seeing that. But the way they did that, I did not care. I was so fucking like, yes, let's do this. Oh, um. Ludi Lin plays Liu Kang, one of Earth's champions. Lin has appeared in such films as Aquaman, Power Rangers, and an episode of Black Mirror. He was apparently a massive Mortal Kombat fan, and this was a dream come true, getting to play Liu Kang. And I thought he did a great job. Oh, yeah, he delivered. He, I, you know, we mentioned that line earlier when he says, like, Luke, you know, flawless victory. Like, when you get these moments when they're clearly saying lines from the game, it can come off incredibly cheesy are cool as shit and it really depends on how how much they are fans and are excited for these moments he pulled that line like when he went flawless victory like everything he said and did was exactly out of the fucking game and you could tell this guy's a fan like he he wants to be here and he loves what he's doing right now oh yeah there were a lot of those moments especially between Liu kang and kung lao um and max huang plays kung lao another of earth's champions Huang is known mostly for stunt work. He did stunt work for films such as Kingsman, Hitman, Agent 47, The Foreigner, and Dragon Blade, among others. And he probably does his own choreography here, and he's, he's great. Uh, it was a shame to see him get killed by Shang Tsung. Yeah. But it gave Liu Kang something to fight for. Yeah, yeah. I was sad to see him. I was like, oh, no. But, you know, yeah. And unfortunately, they're going to kill some characters off. It's Mortal Combat. Yeah. Like, what part of what part of that don't you understand? <laughs> yeah, we want to kill characters off. We won't always enjoy it, but they have to. It reminds me of Balls of Fury when uh, Fang kills like one of the fight one of the ping pong players, the dart, and Randy's like, "What did you do?" And he's like, "What part of sudden death didn't you understand?" Like, just yeah, another movie that's you know influenced by. Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I can love Balls of Fury. That, that movie is so horribly reviewed, but it's one of the funniest damn movies I've ever seen. I haven't seen it in forever. I remember honestly thinking it was funny when I saw it. I just haven't watched it in years. It's great. Enter the Dragon with fucking ping pong. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, CeCe Stringer plays Melina, a vampiric assassin of Outworld. 
Stringer also appeared in the recent remake of Children of the Corn that nobody knew about or saw. There was uh, a remake of Children of the Corn? Yeah, 2020, there was a remake, a very soft remake of Children of the Corn that got no attention and has not been distributed. So it's just there. All right. <laughs> yep. Let's go back to more combat. That was weird. <laughs> Finally, Damon Harriman is the voice of Cabal, another of Outworld's assassins. Harriman played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and in an episode of Netflix's Mindhunter. Oh, he shit. That was him? The voice of Cabal is fucking Manson from Mindhunter. <laughs> Did you hear they're probably talking about a third season? I heard, yeah. Talks are back. That's fantastic. I hope it works out. Same. I After those two seasons, I need a third season. God damn it, I need a third season. One of the best fucking shows I've ever watched. I was, you know, I don't usually binge. I like to savor, but I binge that big time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't stop watching that damn show. Uh, yeah. Mortal Kombat has an IMDb score of 6.3 and a Rotten Tomato score of 54%. Despite a lukewarm critics reception, fans have gone apeshit over this movie and are proclaiming it a hit. It's so far grossed about $66 million on its $55 million budget. It's COVID times. We, we got to be, you know, we got to be realistic here. And that's that's not bad. No. And hey, look, as long as we get more comment two and three, like they've been talking about, I'll be happy. Um, I'm glad fans are embracing it. This, this movie is awesome. This movie is just fucking awesome. Well, Joe Taslim apparently signed on for four films. So we're, we're, we're going to get a lot of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I, I'm down. Again, he is fucking great. You can, like anyone else, you can tell he loves, loves Sub-Zero, and it shows in his performance. I'm down. That's so cool. Like, just... Ah! Um, Isn't it amazing when you see actors play characters that they love to play and how great the performance comes out? Yeah, like, you know, like, you see that in Marvel and Star Wars a lot, but to see it in Mortal Kombat is extra special. Yeah. (laughs) Um... So let's talk about some highlights of the film, uh, some scenes we liked. Um, I thought the opening was brilliant. Just, you know, 1600s Japan with Hasashi just there and, you know, uh, avenging his family with the fucking, like, long spear thing. I don't know what that's called, but great fight sequence. Yeah, and sets the stage, man. Like, when you see, when they're in the house, right, and you hear the commotion outside and you just see the fucking sword go through, with the blood and oh, sets the tone right there. Uh, again, Joe Taslam, before you actually even see him fight, gives a f- very creepy performance in that uh, in that scene when he's asking, like, where's Hanzo? Yeah. It was cool to see kind of the origins of Sub-Zero and Scorpion's feud, that they're both, you know, hundred year, you know, hundreds of years old expert fighters who have so much hate in their heart that it won't let them die. Like That is so cool. And yeah. just Scorpion, like, suffering in hell for hundreds of years and finally coming free to save his ancestor. Holy shit, man. <laughs> like just yeah, learning yeah. to control the fires of hell. The, the very concept, like, makes me freak the fuck out. That's so, that's so cool. It's so, oh, dude, it's fucking great. And yeah, dude, that opening fight scene when he's taking out the guards... And he like ties the rope to make his signature fucking weapon. And you see him using it. And then the whole, and then, then you just see Sub-Zero standing there like waiting his turn. Like, yeah, when you're doing my guys, I'll be here, bro. I'll wait. 
I want you one on one. Oh yeah, so cool. Um, yeah, like I said that when he throws it right and it hits the tree, and Sub Zero dodges it, and then he like, doesn't think and it scratches him. You can't see him like what the fuck. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, sets the stage. I love that in Scorpion's theme is a little bit of the 90s Mortal Kombat song. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I like how they, you know, they, they, I know a lot of fans were like, what is the theme song? Again, it's not necessarily a remake of the original film. It's a new take on the video game series. So the theme song, I like how they used it. I like how they put it in. Personally, I thought the kind of remix new version at the end credits was just fine. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Kind of an updated version. Sounded, you know, had a little bit of, you know, homage to the to the other song, but stood on its yeah. own. Yeah, and it, I think people feel like this one wasn't meant to be as goofy, so the theme song you want so badly would not have worked as well in this movie. No, but we still get, you know, Mortal Kombat! Like, we're never getting away from that. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's staying forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, What'd you think of Goro in this movie? I thought he, I thought he worked fine. Um, I know I read in an interview that they were very hesitant about how much of him they want to use because he was CGI. Yeah, they didn't want to overdo it. They they were like, we really want to put Goro in the movie, but how much was um, what they were figuring out because of CGI? And I think how they used him. With the budget they had, it was only fifty-five million. Yeah, it worked fine. He he looked really good, and I thought the fight scene between him and Cole was awesome. I I don't know. I think they should have saved Goro for the sequels. I think that there's no way Cole ever would have beaten Goro like that. Like it was just this guy was you know inexperienced and really not really prepared for that. And Goro's a fucking force of nature, and it just didn't seem like a believable outcome. Yeah, but they also, there was the implication that uh, some of these characters we saw dead, on the bad guy side at least, might be coming back. That's honestly, true. More than just implication with Joe Taslam, because he d- confirmed he'd sign up for movies. kind of put the cat out of the bag on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That means that no matter how many times Sub-Zero dies, he is coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Granted... Also- Granted, I mean, if you watch the movie and you see that he's lived for 100 years, you kind of go, okay, he's probably not going to die. Like, he has something. And Scorpion is very much going to, you know, pop out of hell when he is needed. Yeah. Which is pretty bitching. I love that he's kind of an anti-hero. I, I like that. You know, I grew up thinking Scorpion was a, you know, purebred bad guy because of the movie from the 90s. But no, he's more of a, you know, his own, he's kind of a soldier of fortune. Yeah. He goes where he, where he feels he's needed. It's kind of badass and they thought they did justice to him very well no they they did complete justice to both them and sub-zero um but yeah Goro, like you know Goro might come back for a sequel and we get to see more of him i thought his usage in the movie was not bad i thought it was fine it was neat it was just i think that cole beating him was a little too much to swallow yeah but i'm not gonna lie like that whole kind of end part with cole honestly if i mean honestly i was kind of scared on where they were going with that I thought for a minute, I was like, do not make Cole Scorpion. For the love of God, don't make I thought him that Scorpion. was Yeah, I thought that's where they were going with that, too. Yeah, I was like, look, you have me on board, movie. You will lose me if you make him Scorpion. I'm not down for it. Thankfully, it's not what they did. 
Oh no, thank we'll get to that scene in a minute because that was not one of my favorite scenes, but I kind of save that for last. <laughs> what I thought was gonna happen towards the end is Cole, like you said, like I'm going to Hollywood. I thought he was gonna like adopt the stage name of Johnny Cage and he was gonna be Johnny Cage. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. But I don't think that they're gonna do that either. Cole's an original character. No, apparently fans want, you know, Ryan Reynolds, which is probably not gonna happen. <laughs> I don't know. He kind of does he he moves to the beat of his own drum. It could happen. That's true. If he's a fan, it could happen. He's, he's a thing that exists in Hollywood, and we just love it. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds does his own fucking thing, and I'm okay with that. Isn't it and, amazing how, like, when Deadpool came out, he pretty much got, like, carte blanche for the rest of his career? <laughs> and he had so many failures up to that point. Like, the fact that he was ever able to actually do Deadpool is a miracle. Yeah. Because he leaked the footage that he will not confirm or deny, but pretty much confirmed. <laughs> it's yeah, both those films are fucking great. I can't wait to see Deadpool three as an R-rated MCU film. Oh, I was so happy. Well, I love as they even said, like, look, this is it. This is the only one we're doing. So it's like, we get it. You we're not going to change this for you guys. You want your R-rated Deadpool, we're giving you your R-rated Deadpool. God bless Kevin Feige. <laughs> No producer in the history of film has ever been as in tune with what the fans want as that man. Yeah. Well, I want to know what Ryan Reynolds said to him because you know they had talks like, look, okay, look, I want Deadpool 3 to be rated on, man. Come on. Oh, yeah. I, somebody, I remember reading somebody had a great idea for a Deadpool appearance in a PG-13 X-Men movie, and it was Deadpool's there, and he knows that they only get one fuck because it's a PG-13 movie. So he's waiting for his right moment. He's waiting. It. He's he's so, like, you know, waiting for the right moment. And then Wolverine says it. <laughs> he's so pissed the rest of the movie. And he can't swear at him because it's a PG-13 movie. <laughs> Speaking of Wolverine, did you hear what Hugh Jackman did to uh, Ryan Reynolds recently? No, what'd he do? He apparently, he, Hugh Jackman was just out walking about. And a cop recognized him was came over quickly like you know the you like the real quick moment of like hey i'm a fan blah blah thing right yeah he goes like hey can you do a video real quick for me he made a video where the cops like ryan reynolds you need to put hugh jackman in deadpool 3 it needs to happen and at one point you can start hearing hugh jackman telling him what to say (laughs) (laughs) that's great He's gonna go, all right, good job, mate. And then he like ends it. <laughs> I love Hugh Jackman's fucking awesome. I I love that they've you know this kind of fake feud has been funny as hell. I he probably will pop up, you know, as a cameo, a brief thing. He'll do it. He will 100 percent do it. I hope so, because we've unfortunately, from the way it sounds, we've lost our chance with like him as Wolverine. Ryan Reynolds, which would have been awesome, but I respect the fact that he's sticking to his guns. What he's done, I respect that. What I would love is, and I, this would never happen in a million years, but Hugh Jackman does like a you know regular drama or an action movie or something, and Ryan Reynolds pops in as Deadpool and keeps calling him Wolverine. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm not this Wolverine fellow. And he's like, Oh, stop it! I know it's you. Like a little brief exchange like that. <laughs> oh if only oh uh, um 
did it strike you as odd in this film that there never actually is a tournament? A little bit. I just I was like, there's no tournament. But apparently, I, I guess a lot of people caught on to that. So, like, the writer or whatever, like, went on an interview and was like, look, the way we have it set up, so everyone's clear here. <laughs> we're, we're envisioning, if we're lucky, a trilogy. The first one will be the pre-tournament. The second film will be the tournament. And the third film will be, like, a purse tournament. They're like, that's how we kind of envision doing okay. this. So, God willing, we get a sequel, right? That will be the tournament. So, for the love of God, people support this movie. Go see it in theaters. Stop bitching about the little things and have fucking fun. Enjoy the movie. So, you can get the tournament that you want so badly in the sequel. I, it didn't bother me. I just thought it was funny. Like, I was like, a, you know, we're two hours in. I'm like, a week. We're running out of time for the tournament here. <laughs> like, is this going to happen? But you're going to hear the name, get commented on its misspelling, and that's it. <laughs> Uh, I want. I can't wait to see like who we get for part two. Like, is Baraka gonna show up? Like, I want to see like some hardcore names. Well, that would they would. I feel like they would have to because they they went with like a lot of the bigger names for this first movie. Obviously, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of shitty characters. Like, I don't. You know, Meat is never showing up. So, <laughs> you know, be sparse. <laughs> um, any other scenes you want to spotlight for uh, Mortal Kombat? Before we get to the awesome end one, uh, yeah. nah. Honestly, like besides the beginning and the end, those are probably the standout scenes to me. Besides that, it's a lot of character moments in between that I enjoyed, especially obviously with Kano. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I did like the part when um they t- takes the the shield down, mm-hmm. and uh, Shang Tsung comes in, and you hear him go, "Finish them." And then, like, they have like the big fight, and you like we mentioned earlier, you have the scene where he, she goes into the fucking uh blade, hat. Yeah, yeah, the hat blade, and splits, and it shows it in all its amazing detail. And he says the line, "Flawless victory." <laughs> Did anybody say fatality? I don't think so. I've seen I it twice. Like, I do not recall like hearing fatality, did, but I don't remember it. I've seen it twice. I do not recall hearing fatality. Maybe they're saving that for part two. That would be amazing. Yeah. Like Liu Kang, you know, rips out Shang Tsung's heart or something and just goes fatality right in his face and kicks him off a bridge or some shit. I'd watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn. Can't win. <laughs> Fucking beauty. <laughs> Beautiful. I thought it was cool at the end how they realized you know we got to separate them and everyone got to have their mortal combat fight at a different stage that was that was really sweet that was awesome seeing uh <laughs> sonia get her thing and just blast that bitch that was yeah that was cool that was cool um oh remind me again who fought cabal was that Liu kang yeah 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 that was Liu yeah because he lit his ass on fire yeah yeah he did his fatality into the fucking fire Thing. I like when you hear Cabal real quick go, oh shit. <laughs> I thought it was funny how Cabal was like this New York kind of guy. Yeah. Like, it was not the voice I was expecting from that suit. No, I like the shots he keeps taking at Kano. Like they're both pieces of shit and they keep taking shots at each other. He's like, you got Kano in there. He's some ugly motherfucker that got me on the iron lung. I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> Beautiful. So the end fight. 
is obviously, you know, Scorpion versus Sub-Zero, which we've all been waiting for the whole movie. Yeah. And it is beautiful. It delivers. Just, you know, Cole fights Sub-Zero. He's not doing too hot. And he uses his, like, get Scorpion out of jail free card. And you just see a spear come from behind, grab Sub-Zero's hand. Pan- camera pans over. Get over here! Pulls him. And now we're in this fight. <laughs> I... I had the hugest nerd boner the moment that happened. Because I like I like I told you, I was sitting there going, don't make this guy fucking scorpion. Like I don't nothing against the Cole character, just don't make him scorpion. Um which oh shit, I forgot about that fight. Now that I think about Scorpion Sub Zero, the Jackson Sub Zero fight was really cool. He lost his arms. Oh yeah. That was a cool one. Mm-hmm. Um but uh yeah, like the whole time I'm thinking, no, no, don't, don't. And then, yeah, as soon as he's getting ready to kill it and you see the fucking, whatever that weapon is, hit him in the arm and you're like, oh. and yeah, get over here. And Oh, I was like, yes, yes, okay, sweet, yes, we're in the fight. And God, that fight was cool. I mean, from when he takes his blood and freezes it and makes an ice wall and just flings him through it. <laughs> so like, like I said, again, and this really speaks to how much they were dedicated to these, these characters. When Scorpion throws that blade at him again and he dodges it, the, if, look at like Taslim's eyes that he does with that. The way he just goes and looks at him like, I know what you're going to do. I'm not falling for you. Sure enough, as soon as he pulls, he just fucking grabs it. I was like, oh. That was sweet. Um, yeah, I, I was blown away. I gave, I gave this film an eight. I thought this was a badass return to form for this movie franchise. And I really hope we get to see more in the same vein. Uh, yeah, very excited. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. Eight out of ten. For all the people that are bitching that's not high art, I don't know what the hell you think you're paying for. Just shut up, enjoy the goddamn movie, have a have a fun time. And let people enjoy want, shit. <laughs> yeah, like I want a sequel. I want the two and the three they're talking about so bad. So yes. Oh, fuck yeah. This was awesome. I love Mortal Kombat. I'm glad we got to spotlight it here on the sneak preview. Uh, next week's going to be, I think, just as badass. We get next we get uh, Guy Ritchie's new action thriller, Wrath of Man, in theaters, as well as Gia Coppola's wacky satire, Mainstream, also in theaters, and a buddy comedy called Here Today, starring Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish. Uh, tune in next Monday to see what we get to discuss. It's going to be Wrath of Man. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I was a big fan of uh, Guy Ritchie's last movie, The Gentleman. So I'm I'm pumped for Wrath of Man. Plus, it's him and Salem teaming up again after God knows how many years. Yeah, I think since Snatch, right? I think so. So it's 21 years. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Statham looks exactly the fucking same. <laughs> him and like The Rock, man. They don't fucking age. They don't. They just keep getting better work. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Fantastic. On Wednesday's Filmgasm podcast, Josh and I are partnering with independent horror comics company Ibon Press to revisit Lucio Fulci's The Beyond and compare the film with Ibon's comic book adaptation. going to be insane. Very excited. So beyond ecstatic to do this. Uh, And on Oscar Sunday, Austin and I will be discussing the 1991 Best Director race, focusing on John Singleton's Boys in the Hood. Be sure to tune in Friday for the Giggle Guys and whatever they got for you as well. Have an awesome week and keep watching movies.